You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another podcast. We can't thank you guys enough for tuning in every week with us. Today's episode, we have a really special guest. Her name is Sophia Barrios, and she is the VP of Measurement Products at Technique FMC here in Houston, Texas. She is highly recognized for building high-performance teams by fostering an energetic, positive, and dynamic work environment. She brings extensive experience in diverse culture environments with international working experiences like in Asia, Australia, the U.S., Brazil, and Latin America. She's part of the Emerging Leaders in Energy Transition and ESG Committees at PISA, and she's also a mentor at the Women in Energy Network. Sophia feels passionate and inspired about driving and leading changes to transform our industry to provide clean energy to the world. She considers herself an energy transition leader, and we're super excited to get to know her story. Sophia, thank you so much for joining us today. How are Hi. you doing? Very good. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Maciel. Oh, so good to hear. Well, let's just start right in, and why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what was life like growing up in Venezuela? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much first for having me here. This is a pleasure, really a pleasure to be able to have the opportunity to share my story. So yes, I'm Venezuelan and how was life um, there, how I grew up there. So I'm glad to say that I actually grew up in the rich Venezuela before the situation today. So before that was actually before the Chavez revolution, before I left, I had an amazing opportunity to be educated there, highly educated in Venezuela. And life was great. So we have an amazing country with lots of opportunity, lots of international companies in our country. And it was amazing because Venezuela is a beautiful country with a lot of natural resources, beautiful places, and it was full of opportunity at that time. So growing up in Venezuela, obviously it is a very much oil and gas country. So was that something that growing up you realized that you also wanted to join the industry because of it or was nobody in your family part of oil and gas? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I shared with you before, everybody, so let's say every woman's goal in Venezuela was either to be Miss Venezuela or working oil and gas. So I have chosen to work in oil and gas as an engineer. That's what I actually study, industrial engineering. I had that very clear in my mind that from day one that I wanted to work in the industry that was more relevant. As you know, Venezuela was a, an exporter of oil, oil exporter, and it was the most important industry in my country. So I didn't want it to be out of the party. I wanted to be part of the, that amazing industry that we had before everything that is going on today. So what was your first job in the oil field after you graduated? Did you go to the field or did you go work for an operator? Absolutely. So my first job was in sales. I was selling surface wellheads. So I was going to the rigs. I was going to rig meetings. I had the opportunity to go to a shallow water rig in the Maracaibo Lake. Lots of hands on the wheat understanding how the business works, and I was selling wellheads. That was my job. I love it. Lotus relationship building in that job opportunity. 
it was a great environment to work. Lots of international companies. So I, I was handling international operators. So I used to work for a company at that time was called ABB Betco Gray. It was a company that belongs to ABB. Then that division was actually sold. And today that division is part of Baker after being part of many other companies, GE or, yeah. So that's where I started my career in oil and gas in, what was that? 2000, the year 2000. What was your first question? 20 years ago. Wow. 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. What was your first impression of being in the field? Was it looked weird upon for a woman to be in the field and selling? Or was it a pretty normal cultural thing in Venezuela? Actually, I want to say that Venezuela is a very feminist country. So it, it was not weird to see women in the field. However, obviously, it was predominant male. I was probably one of the few but it was amazing. I think the company intentionally put me in the position in sales because all the international companies, they didn't have females, not at all. Mm-hmm. The females were the ones that mo- pretty much the locals. <laughs> that time, the expatriate community was huge. Yeah, but it was amazing being part of something big, you know, like, wow. And I had the opportunity to deal directly with the shells and the chevrons of the world in my country. When you first started talking about growing up in Venezuela, you mentioned some of the struggles that happened later on in Venezuela, like what's happening today. You know, a lot of our listeners have lived mainly in North America with little understanding of what it's like to have a controlling government. Because like you said, there was a time before when Venezuela was very rich and they, you know, they had all these companies working for them and people Mm -hmm. could come and go as they want. And it's, you know, very free. Can you explain what happens when a government like that takes over? over and and how it affected the country and the opportunities? Absolutely. Yeah. So everything started to fall apart in 1998 when Chavez was elected. And as a consequence, today we have the country that we have. It's the poorest, I would say that I was reading some statistics and in 2019 in a survey from an organization called Encovi, Venezuela is officially the poorest country in Latin America. Before, before, between the 1950 and the 1980s, Venezuela was the strongest economy in South America. And it was the fourth wealthy country per capita wow. before, before all this happened. Absolutely, the government can completely destroy an economy. Completely. And that, you know... I cannot be more, you know, insisting on this when people, first, number one, people need to vote. Mm-hmm. And number two, people need to really think about the leader they're choosing because he could completely go wrong, completely, mm-hmm. absolutely wrong. So Venezuela was from, you know, from being one of the, actually the wealthiest economies in Latin America to the poorest and we're talking about 20 plus years, I had the luxury to leave the previous Venezuela and my family, we all had great opportunities to travel a lot. So we had an amazing life. We didn't have the need to leave our country. And because of the country choosing the wrong leader, it was very difficult to get rid of him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then Maduro continued after Chavez died. 
And today it's even worse. So, and it's going to be extremely hard to recover the country. We are still suffering. Yeah. So that's, that's extremely sad. And I mean, like you said, everybody should vote because like, you're right. The government could change a lot of our industry as well as like you said, the economy. So I think that's a Venezuela is the perfect example of mm-hmm. what could happen. Exactly. Um, and the risk is everywhere in Latin America. You see other countries in Latin America with left inclination, like extreme. I mean, I think here in the U.S., the system is very modern. I will never think that something like this is going to happen in, in an economy like this. But unfortunately, it happened in Venezuela and mm-hmm. we lost. Right now, I don't have a country. So I'm expatriated in a way, literally, because mm-hmm. I don't even have a passport to go back to my country. So, wow. Well, yeah. talking about when you left Venezuela, what year was that? And then also, can you tell us about the first time that you worked in the US? And was the US the first country that you went to after you left Venezuela? No. Well, I was kind of like the moment... In 1998, I remember very well that year. That was the year of Chavez. I saw very clear on his speech that I needed to leave my country. I saw very clear on his message, another Cuba. Mm -hmm. So I decided to find ways to leave the country. At that time, it still existed some opportunities to be engaged internationally enjoy different organizations and had the opportunity to do an exchange program here in the U.S. after I graduated engineering. And then basically from 1998 onwards, I was back and forth in the U.S. And then I came back to, and then I went to Costa Rica to do my MBA, came back to the U.S. to continue my MBA and back and forth until I officially found a job opportunity with FMC technology at that time, which today is Technip FMC, that gave Mm -hmm. me the opportunity to work in Singapore, where I worked for eight years and then two years in Asia. Sorry, two years in Australia, eight years in Singapore. So 10 years in total in that side of the world. And officially came back to the U.S. to work in almost five years ago. And was this all with Technip FMC? Yes. Okay. Okay. So your whole career since then moving to Asia and all that stuff was Technique FMC. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And uh, I remember when we spoke, you mentioned that when you came to the US, there was a lot of roadblocks, but mainly all of them were in your head. You built up your own walls and something of an unconscious bias against your cultural differences. Like I feel like you probably came here and you thought that people thought, oh, she's got an accent and she's a girl and she's from another country and she's here to be a leader. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think as women, we do have a lot of this unconscious bias always against us in our own head. Absolutely, Marcel. So, and I can't stress more about that. So, and this is me reflecting after what happened to me. So I was working in Asia and in Asia, There is no difference, like if you're Hispanic, if you are from Latin America, if you're from the U.S., you are with round eyes. You're (laughs) just a foreigner, but you're all under one category. One category, we're Western, right? Western, okay. So, and I, I was seen like that and respected that way. And in Asia, that feeling of being Western, you know, you feel the respect, you feel the treatment, right? 
So when I came back to this side of the world and came to the US, I put a chip in my head that it was not going to be the same, that I was not going to have maybe the same treatment, that I was not going to be important the same way I was there. I just put it in my head and I don't know, I don't know why I did that. And, you know, is that bias that Hispanic people are probably, you know, not well seen in the U.S. Everybody's called Mexican and I'm Venezuelan. I mean, that type of thing. But I decided to put it on my head. I don't know why. (laughs) And I absolutely think that because of that, I struggle. I struggled on my first job that I had when I came back. It wasn't me, the person that was trying to deal with. And I was remember telling to my boss at that time, I need, like, how do you call that? When you come back or when you go to a country, the company give you like a consultant or something that is going like to help a, Like somebody to help you like talk to, like they're um, usually like a business, like not a business coach, but like a mentor. Life. But it was around the culture, understanding the culture. Mm-hmm. And then when she was like, I don't understand why you need that. I mean, it's like, <laughs> but it was in my head. I said, no, I need, I need that training. I don't know work. how Americans work. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I need to understand how these people think and say, and maybe in, in, in I could understand my supervisor at that time. She was like, why? <laughs> it was just a chip in my head. And it probably, I would say that that experience was not the best experience, professional experience that I had. Because how are you of the able bias. to overcome it? Yeah. So I ended up reflecting that what I say, why am I thinking differently? Why I'm acting differently? Why I'm not me? <laughs> and by, you know, connecting with people, I ended up also working with an executive coach that she helped me a lot to overcome those challenges and talking to people, talking to other women, successful women in the industry that have probably similar profile than me and I just realized that it was something in my head and when I decided to take out of my that of my head I started to see the difference and you can really see how much you can impact your mind mm-hmm. when you understand your biases is a bias normally you know yeah our unconscious bias so when I started to have to bring that to my conscious mind that I started to change And I think we do that as women a lot. And I think we do that as business professionals a lot, man or woman. I mean, you walk into a room, you do a, give a presentation, you mess up on one line and then you see some people who keep talking and you see some others that stop and they're like, Oh, I just messed up. And the whole room's like, you messed up. I I didn't know that. But in your head, I mean, that's just a small example of something that very similar to the same feeling. Like you think people are thinking these things about you, but really they, they aren't, but in your mind, you make up this idea and it sounds like that is kind of, you know, what held you back there at the beginning. Absolutely. I have a question on your husband and your family. So you were, you were in Venezuela, then you moved around Australia, Asia, then you came back to the U S clearly. And you were with Technique FMC the whole time. So obviously your career was taking off and it was leading. How was that with balancing with your husband's career as well? And did he, I guess, quit his job or get a lesser job to follow you around? Or how did that work? So first I have to say that I'm absolutely lucky. (laughs) I think I mentioned to do that the other day when I did my MBA. That was a long time ago. 
I graduated of the master and the mister with the master and the mister. So, wow. <laughs> so literally one week after I graduated from my MBA, I got married. So that was, it's a long story. But at that point in time, I think my husband and I have done an amazing job in understanding each other. And I have to really say that he was very open-minded to support with the opportunity that we had at that point in time. And at that point in time, we both went to Asia and he had the amazing opportunity to do his MBA in Asia. Mm. So we always try to find the way to balance and to give the opportunity to each other. And there is always like time, like, you know, okay, there is this opportunity that was an amazing opportunity for both. We took it and with, you know, very open-minded. And then now that we're back in the U.S., he's having also great professional opportunity here. So we're very clear and that some time is opportunity for one, sometimes opportunity for the other, and we support each other. But I have to be, really have to be very honest to say that I'm very lucky to have an amazing husband that support my career. We see that a lot in our guests and they always talk about how supportive the husband is. And I think that says a lot to those who, especially for women that have that confidence and can build their career outside of, you know, their daily family tasks they have to take to have a supportive husband. So that's really great to hear. I want to ask you something kind of back to your childhood. So, you know, growing up in Venezuela, you know, you had opportunity at that point. You saw what ended up happening and you had to leave. But I think what's very interesting about your story is the journal that you wrote when you were a young girl that you still have today that I think really says a lot about you and about how you were able to accomplish this, you know, writing it down and remembering it and, and living by those rules. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, you know, because I always have it with me, I kept it with me and I, I want to show it. <laughs> wow. So it's actually, I didn't realize how powerful this was to me. So when I graduated 20 years ago, I graduated in 2000, I put this together pretty much. And they have a husband and they have kids. I put it all together and it was basically a picture of who I wanted to be when I grew up. 20 years after, I want to say that, you know, if I want to tell you a story of everything that is written here, it's 100% fulfilled. And I feel very, very, very satisfied. And when I share my story, I always tell that it, it's amazing, the power of writing. Because when you write down what you, your dreams, they absolutely will come true. Mm. So, and I have that in my habits from always. I always had it very clear in my mind who I wanted to be and always wrote it in napkins and I keep all those pieces of paper. So inside here, there's a lot of pieces of paper that I keep writing and writing and put dates and put specifics and they just come along and it's the power of starting with an end in your mind. Mm. And That's really cool. I think everybody should do that. And I think, like you said, there is a lot of power to writing things down. And like, that's why they always say, write down your goals, mm -hmm. vision board. Like, I feel like we all hear it, but it's very, very true that you wake up every day and you see your vision board of who you want to be when you grow up or what you want to be doing in the next 10 years. And your mind will be 
you know, always constantly thinking of where you're going to get and what you need to do to get there. So it's a constant reminder of your goals, which I think is awesome. And I think you had mentioned you had written down like you wanted X amount of kids, you wanted to be married, you wanted to move to another country, you wanted to travel, you wanted to find a good husband, have a great career, learn English, just like so many things like you said, and all of them have been accomplished. I think that's, that is such a cool story. I remember when you first shared that with us. Yeah. Actually, I, so didn't, cool. I didn't speak any English when I wrote this. This is in Spanish. So that's amazing. Really cool. So I wanted to talk a little bit on diversity and inclusion. I know when we last spoke, you mentioned that Technique FMC is a forward-thinking company, especially when it comes to diversity. What do you believe is different at Technique FMC? And also, what should other companies be doing in this space in order to get better and, you know, change the workforce to feel more diverse and included within the industry? Yeah, no, absolutely. My company had a great reaction about the diversity and inclusion situation that happened this year. Immediately, immediately our leaders reacted and encouraged all of us to have a dialogue and the company has clear objective about diversity and inclusion. There is actually an organization inside our company called Bold, that it's a black organization for leadership and development. And the company, the leaders strongly support this organization. And I have to say, I'm a life example of the support that the company doesn't in terms of diversity and inclusion, I, I, I don't feel I never had the situation that opportunity wasn't given to me because I'm Hispanic, because I'm, you know, I'm a woman. A minority, I'm, a woman. Yeah. A minority, mm-hmm. not at all. So I want to say that I'm pleased in, in that sense with Technique FMC. In regards to what company should do, and that's something that I encourage in the conversation that we have in diversity and inclusion, about diversity and inclusion in our company, it's about, a lot of people talk about, you know, we need to be very mindful of diversity and inclusion and all that. But me as someone who represents diversity, one thing that we should be working on is in our biases. Mm. I think I shared that with you before. Mm -hmm. A lot of the diversity and inclusion issues are in our head. Mm -hmm. We need to help people. I think I shared this story with you before about this African-American woman that I met from my kids' school that she mentioned one day to me, we were having a nice conversation. I met her and then she mentioned to me, because I'm African-America, I quit my job and I decided to go into real estate. And I never understood why she said that to me. Mm-hmm. She never understood that. And it's the same thing that I was telling you before. When I came back to the U.S., I put the chip in my head that I wasn't able to do X and Y. So, mm-hmm. you know, in addition to encouraging everybody to be open-minded to any, to all kind of diversity of thought, we also need, there should be support programs, talks, encouragement to the people, to people like us, like, Hey, the chip is in your head, take it out. <laughs> Well, I think it begins at childhood. And I think what ends up happening is that you grow up in a family that puts these thoughts already in your head. So before you even get to work, you know, before you're in your twenties, you already think why 
this roadblock and that roadblock. And then what we're left with is the companies trying to provide a resource to show them, no, that you don't have roadblocks. So I think right now in society, we've had a huge push of talking about this and talking about it openly on social media. You know, you've got Instagram people, you've got LinkedIn people, you've got all the people talking about it. And I'm really hoping that that's going to help with the unconscious bias part in just your daily life too. And, and I think you hit it on the head. Like it, it literally is in your head a lot of the time. So, I mean, very, very true on that same subject. Last time we talked, you mentioned about there being a lack of women supporting other women. And I know that you're a mentor now, and, and that is for a women's organization, which was a very hard thing for a lot of women to find is another woman actually that could be a, a mentor or mentee for them. Can you tell us about your association with that and, and how you think you know women supporting women could actually help with our overall, you know, unconscious bias and, and being more confident? Yeah, absolutely. So first I want to say that that statement about that woman not necessarily support the woman, I want to say that in my case, I have to be fortunate that the few bosses that I have that are, you know, women, especially one person that I had in the past, um, she will know exactly who she is when she listened to me. I want to say that she is probably one of the best bosses that I ever had and very, very supportive in my journey. And still she is. Yes, so I'm an advocate for diversity and for especially supporting women in business. I really enjoy being part of one mentoring program. I'm a mentor in that program. I don't know if you're aware, but Women in Energy Network in Houston, they have a year-round mentoring circle program. And there is hundreds of women engaged in that program is excellent and I've been in that program as a mentee for two years and this year I decided to be as mentor. I also do the same in my company so any opportunity that I see or that I've been asked or someone come to me or any opportunity that I see to help another woman I'll do it with all my heart because I know how hard it could be especially people with similar profile that I have that I know the struggles in our heads. So try to help um, with that. What's the most common question that you get from the women that you're mentoring? How to balance. Especially younger generation is, how do you do it? You have two kids, you work, you're beautiful, you this, you this, how do you do all that? (laughs) That's the typical question you get. Because especially younger generation, when they don't have a family yet, there is a lot of concern. Am I going to be able to be a mom and continue with my career, right? What's the kind of advice that you would give them? So honestly, it's all about starting with the end in your mind, as I said, <laughs> as I mentioned previously. It's all about starting with, your, with the end in your mind. Having clear objective on different roles that you play in your life as a mom, as a wife, as, you know, having very clear what is my objective. And you have to be extremely intentional on what to choose. Like if you go and open my kids' closet, it's going to be a mess. I mean, you cannot be perfect, you know. Yeah. (laughs) You choose your battle, you know. But then, you know, the seed of the values of my kids and I choose the most important, the critical things, uh, you know, being, you know, with them in school, 
not missing any school activity or things like that. I mean, there are things that you cannot be perfect and everything can be done. It's just a possibly cannot be done all at the same time. Mm. So when you're pregnant, then there is a time to, you know, for your pregnancy after you have your kids that now I'm in the, in the mode of fitness. So like exercise, like six times a day and a week, six times a week and nutrition and all that and lost pounds and all that. I never had time for that before when my kids were younger. There is time for everything. It's a problem. You don't have it all at the same time, but just be patient. That's really good advice. Definitely. Yeah. And I think we had had someone else. I don't remember who it was, but she said something so perfect. And it was like when she was talking about balancing everything, kind of like what you were mentioning, she said like, maybe I don't make my kids like homemade baked cupcakes to bring yeah. to their friend's house because I have to buy it at HEB and like I buy it pre-made, but <laughs> I'm a working mom. And I think that's kind of what it, like what you meant about like my kids' rooms may not be super clean. It's like there's yeah. some sort of balance that something's got to give, yeah. but overall you're a great mom because you make sure to be there for them and you're also showing them how hard you're working, which yeah. You know, Actually, you know what? Yesterday, my daughter said, mom, you know that my friend's mom, she's always organizing the Christmas parties and all kind of vacation in the, in the school and, you know, wondering why you, you know, if you, one day you should do that and say, honey, forget it. Yeah. It's not going to happen. You should say, your is, mom, uh, is she a VP? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. That your mom, it's a VP of an oil and gas company. It's not going to happen. And yeah. then she was thinking, say, mommy, I'm very proud of you. I understand. Oh, that's so sweet. But that's, <laughs> that's, that's so, so true though. And you're so right in what both of y'all said. I mean, the balance that, yeah, you might not be like the home book mom, but you know, Hey, you go to all the games at least, or like, Hey, you get to see them at the end of the day. You always cook dinner. Maybe that's your thing. Like everybody has their thing and it's not going to be consistent with each person. You need to choose. For example, to me, the food that I give to my kids is extremely important. Mm -hmm. I do cooking. Yes. I do the cooking for them for every day to go to school, everything that will be organic, natural, and all that stuff. But open the closet is a mess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I like that. your priorities, though. I'm with the food. I, I agree. Okay. I think that's way more important than organization and, you know, all of that. So. Yeah, correct. So I have a question on your career. You are a VP at Technique FMC. You've obviously had a very good career in the last 20 years. What would you say has helped you to get promotions? And I think maybe even for both men and women, but for at least for Jamie and I, is like we always ask for things like, hey, when's my next promotion? Like, how do you advocate for yourself without being too pushy at the mm -hmm. same time? Mm -hmm. Actually, you know, I want to say that until now, I want to say that maybe until probably two years ago, I was the typical woman waiting for someone to pat on my shoulder. Oh, you did amazing. Let me see if I can do something for you. That's that, me. That, that's pretty much how my entire career happened. And I delivered. So anything that is on my hand is going to happen. That's for sure. I deliver. I would say that because of that, that made me, you know, navigate my career because I make things happen, but never ask for anything until the crisis came. And 
there was a lot of layoff in the company, a lot of people leaving, only few opportunities. When really I started to realize that, oh my God, all the mentors and leaders that I had, they're not here anymore. It's just me, you know, I need to, you know, I need to do something, you know, I don't know all these new leaders. I need to advocate for myself. And then I started to get engaged with maybe, yeah, I would say two, three years ago with one, with executive coach, with all kind of network. And I realized that I needed to wake up and say, hey, Sophia, wake up. Nobody's going to come to you and say, oh, poor Sophia, I want to give you a birthday. No way. And I started to realize that I was a typical woman in silence, just waiting for someone to, you know, sponsor me just magically. No. You need to be your own advocate. You need to promote yourself and you need to be, you need to speak up and show and share about your dreams, your career development, desires, aspirations, because if you don't do it, nobody's going to know. Nobody's Mm -hmm. going Mm -hmm. to know. No, you're a hundred percent correct. And, and I can say, you know, just from my past experience, you know, I've had people that like, oh, but we thought you were comfortable doing the sales role. We thought you liked it. And it's like, well, no, I mean, I did this, this, and this, and I thought you were going to give me this, but if you never told them, then how are they going to know that you actually wanted to maybe go into marketing, but you've always done sales, but you never told anybody that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's Absolutely. very true. You know, you need to be very clear and very transparent on who you want to be and what your career's aspiration are. Every time you have the opportunity to say it, and it's very important, extremely important to have the end and yes. your end goals in your mind so you can clearly communicate this is who I want to be and you can have to clearly identify where your gaps are mm-hmm. to get to where you want to go and so people can help you gotcha. to no, that's, close those that's gaps. Great. That's great advice. And just to close off here on our last note is what advice would you give let's say your kids, you know, let's say they were a little bit older, they're going into college. What advice would you give them if they were looking into joining our industry now that you obviously know how cyclical it is, how it's pretty cutthroat and kind of just like looking at the future of oil and gas, what advice would you give them if they wanted to join the industry? Yeah, actually, (laughs) what a casualty. Do you know that my son asked me this morning, yesterday when we were going to a school, say, mommy, what your company does. And I seen the content that he's seen in science and mm. geography and everything. It's, I've been like chopped on how, you know, they're how pretty they're much, are, they're pretty much, yeah, how they're taught. They're pretty much telling in the school, the future is going to be all about, it's going to be all about renewable oil and gas oil it's fossil fuel it's, it's gone it's, it's dead it's yeah. dead or we need to find actually literally there's a video that said we need you to start thinking how we can stop using fossil fuel wow and start using renewable it's very shocking the videos but it's reality right that's where we're going in the future so my son asked me the question he asked me two questions what your company does and is your job fun and I said, my company helped to bring energy to the world. That's what we do. It's, we are in the process, we're in the transition of helping the world to bring other sources of energy to, you know, or bring energy 
the way we do it, but in a cleaner manner, right? I didn't go into the detail, but is my, is my work fun? It is. So oil and gas industry has done amazing things in the past. We were and we still are the industry that makes things uh, move economies. Mm-hmm. Because of oil and gas, a lot of economy develops, or mm-hmm. cars, phones, plastic, computers, you name it. Anything that means development is related to oil, to energy. Mm-hmm. Yes, we need to do it better. We need to do it cleaner. And we probably need to find other mix of energy sources. And hopefully the dream for everybody is that everything is 100% renewable in the, in the future. But we all know that for decades, oil and gas is going to be an important piece in the mix. So yes, it's a very cyclical industry, but it's the, it's the industry that do big things. It's amazing to be part of huge and big things that help the world to develop and to grow, right? And this is not going to be deception. We're going to do it again and again. Yes. I mean, that's how we feel about the industry as well. We make this world work. And, and you know, it's disappointing that right now they're teaching the kids that it's disappointing because of everything that we have done to even provide for those schools as an oil and gas company. Especially in Denver alone, the statistics on the money that it's provided to those schools is over like six hundred million from oil and gas companies. They want to completely just wipe that out. But I really appreciate, you know, you saying that and you even talking about how it's going to be a mix, but at the end of the day, you know, we are here to, we're able to do these things and technology is able to be where it is today because of oil and gas at hundred percent. iPhones would not even be around if it wasn't for oil and gas. So and you know, we are going to enable the future. Yeah. Yeah. The world need us. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you know, thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. And we just loved hearing your story and your background and how, you know, diverse you are too. It's just amazing to hear everything that you've done. So just thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yes. Thank you so much, Sophia. Again, really appreciate you coming on. And more importantly is everybody should go write down their goals, write down your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, your 20-year plan. Yes. Like, you know, write down those goals and make it happen because you can make anything happen as long as you work behind it and you hustle every day to get to your goal. Put it as your screensaver on your phone. So you look at it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, thank thank you you so much. Guys, if you haven't done so yet, please leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Flipping the Barrel Podcast on LinkedIn. And we will put all of Sophia's ways where you can contact her on LinkedIn. And yeah, it'll be all in our show notes below. So if you want any sort of mentorship, you know, or join anything related to PISA or when, you know, you can reach out to Sophia and see how she can help you as she's a big mentor for women in oil and gas. So thank you guys again and tune in next week.